everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Super stoked to jump into this episode today and my chat with Luke Cooper. But let me give you a quick background on Luke before we do get into the episode. He is the founder and CEO of Fixed, which is a venture capital-backed technology startup focused on providing on-demand smartphone repair services to large enterprises. As founder of Fixed, Luke guided the company to 400% year-over-year growth, raised a $7 million Series A round, and earned enterprise clients such as Home Depot, New York Police Department, the Carlisle Group, and IBM. In 2020, the company was purchased for 11x the revenue by Assurant, which is a $10 billion Fortune 500 leader in mobility production. Before moving into entrepreneurship, Luke started his career as an attorney at DLA Piper and then as in-house counsel at State Farm. His first entrepreneurial experience was joining CTS, a cybersecurity software startup, as employee number one. On a single round of funding of $180,000, Luke guided CTS to a $60 million exit to CICI within two years. And Luke is really what the Just Get Started podcast is all about. Someone that decided to make a change in their life, do something that they felt was going to be better, more fulfilling, more impactful on the world, and ultimately make them happier each and every day. So excited for you guys to listen in on this interview. Without further ado, my chat today with Luke Cooper. Let's get it started. Coop, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped for this conversation. I mean, just your resume, quote unquote, if you will, the the things that you've overcome in life. I mean, I, I think it's such a great story for Just Get Started and, and for the listeners. Um, and I think a lot of the insight you can share can really be helpful um, in that regard. And so I want to start, I want to kind of go right in the deep end. Let's just go into it. Because one of the things that I just always, I, you know, I talk with a lot of folks that are they're in jobs and careers they don't like, and they don't know how to get out of it. And, you know, there, there's a lot of excuses that happen because of that. I really want to start out with, you know, you were an attorney, right? You went to a couple different companies you're with, you kind of, that was your thing. Like if, you know, if we talked to you when you were younger, it's like, I'm going to, I'm an attorney, I'm going to go that route. And then all of a sudden that switched and you decided to not do that anymore. I, I want to jump into that deep end of how you came to that realization and then we'll get into, you know, what happened next. But yeah. can you get me there? Where was the point where you're like, this is not for me. I, I, I got to do something else. Can you yeah. share that story a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, thanks for having me on, Brian. I, I'm excited to talk to, to you and like hopefully illuminate some of these topics for, for your um, listeners. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, there, there was a precise moment at which I made the determination I was no longer going to practice law in the, in the fashion that I was doing it, be associated with a big law firm, all the things that I was you know, doing at the time. And, um, but before I jump into that, I, I think it's important to understand like the power of perspective because it's really, really important. Like when I was a kid, uh, you know, my mom took us on this tiny Cessna plane when I was 12 and you know, we were poor. We lived in, uh, in the project uh, in, in, in my hometown and everybody was poor around me. No one ever went anywhere. And she went over and asked the pilot to fly us around so I could just see a different perspective, a different, see the world from a different vantage point. And like what, what that forced me to do was to constantly try to find ways to get out of my comfort zone. No matter what situation I found myself in, I'm asking questions. I'm, I'm curious, like, how does this whole thing work? How does this whole thing connect to other things? 
And like, what's my place in all of this, right? And I think if you're not asking those questions, like you're, you're, you don't have a career or you're not taking your career serious enough, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the first step is just to ask those serious, you know, critical questions. And like when I, you know, got to the practice of law, I was doing M&A work for um, DLA Piper, now the second largest law firm in the world. Um, I, w- I was in-house counsel at State Farm. So I worked on a lot of big things and I got a lot of exposure. What I kept asking myself was like, what's my place in it? What's the, the optimal level of performance and achievement that I can I can get to within this construct, right? Does that mean that I, okay, I, I see a pathway to being a, a partner in 10 years. You know, as a 24-year-old, you know, kid, like that, that seems daunting, right? I'm going to wait 10 years to be a partner in a law firm. Like, what does that really mean? As I started to ask questions about the end state of where I could be, it, it immediately forced me to poke holes in like currently cur- the current state of where I was. And that led me to like seeking other opportunities. Some of them are adjacent, right? Like it, it doesn't mean that I, I think people get intimidated because they think you're a, a, you're a lawyer or you're a doctor, whatever you are. And you've got a whole scale, stop that and pivot to something different. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can actually take breadcrumb, you know, steps toward the thing that you ultimately want especially if you don't know, you should do it that way. Cause most of us don't know, you know, the end state of where we, where we want to go. We know we want to be rich. We want to, we want to be famous, all those things, but like exactly what that means and ter- how that translates into like who we are and what, what things we're impacting. A lot of people don't have a, a clear sense of that, but you might have a clear sense of like the next four or five moves. And so I encourage people to look at the, the current environment that they're in, right? If you're in a law firm. Okay. I'm in a law firm. I work on corporate matters. Okay. Do you know, you know, uh, um, general managers and business product managers, et cetera, within the companies that you're supporting and you can, you know, sort of, uh, you know, take an adjacent step and join them. Are are there opportunities for you to, you know, move into a different, you know, uh, professional together because investment banking and law, you know, have very deep connections and ties, right? Like, and then investment banking will lead you to private equity, private equity leads you to more, you know, founding companies, building companies, et cetera. So in the same nine, 10 year, you know, plan that I could have gotten to, to, to a partner, I put together a plan that got me to being a founder of two companies, uh, a, a failure of one of them with one of them for sure. Um, but, um, taking a company that, you know, was an idea basically from nothing to 400% year over year revenue growth, we raised seven and a half million dollars. And, you know, we ultimately sold the company for 11 times revenue. And I'm the first black entrepreneur to do that in Baltimore in 25 years, right? So, and so, so I, I think this is the power of, per, of perspective that I, I think is important for your users um, to understand and, and to translate in this, in this message. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned curiosity there. And I, I think you brought up a great point is, yeah, no one expects anyone to, and as we've talked about before, right? I'm in a full-time role still in software sales and I do the podcast on the side. I'm writing books, I'm trying and tasting and testing things right. to see what I like, what I enjoy. And, and I think that's a, that curiosity around what are some things I can try and do? And to your point, I think that's such a great um, message of going around to other partners in the organization. What are they doing? Is there things I might like, I might enjoy? Because we see a lot of this, this kind of cross-pollination in, in the organization exactly. where you leave one role and go to something completely different inside the same organization. So exactly. just, just seeing what's out there, you know? Yeah, I, I think the future is just that too, Brian. You make a, make a great point. I, don't, I think in the future... We don't have careers traditionally the way we do now. Like you go to 
you know, this process of studying literature, then you go to college, you, you, you have these four majors that are appropriate for law school, then you go to law school, you become a lawyer. I think that's done. I think, I think the, you know, the, the society I see 20 years from now is one where you fade in and out of disparate pr- professions, mm-hmm. getting exposure and releasing your talent on the world wherever it's coming from, right? Because the reality is lawyers are going out, the, the best law firms, they're hiring, uh, you know, uh, these um, entrepreneurs and residents, they're hiring um, technologists that help them understand the businesses that they're supporting better so that they can draft better IP, you know, claims or whatever they're doing, right? So like you're, this cross, you know, pollinization is already happening in front of us. It happens in innovation. Like there's no new ideas. All the ideas are, are conglomerates of, you know, existing things, previously, you know, previously um, released concepts, et cetera. And so I think that's the future. And we've got to, you know, consistently look, you know, around us for opportunities to extend our, you know, who we are and find, you know, find our path. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to just in a second of how you transition out to, to start your businesses. Yeah. Quick question, though, and, and I'm wondering if you ever got a chance to, if you've ever asked your mom about that Cessna plane, why why did she decide to do that? Was there some reason she decided to take that flight or have that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, it comes from the same desire that I think every mother wants for their child, every father hopes for their son, Right. Um, the, the opportunity to get exposure and, and see the world, you know, with fresh eyes and, and without the skin that you're wearing, right? Like the skin that you're wearing sometimes is uncomfortable and it limits you from doing things and getting access to things that, you know, sometimes, you know, can give you just another perspective, you know, new dreams, et cetera. And um, I think my mom wanted that for us. She just wanted more for us. She didn't know, you know, what, what that definition you know, consisted of and like what it really meant or how we were going to define that in later stages of our life and what we we're going to do with that. But she hundred percent wanted that. And I think, I think all parents want that for their children. And so like, you know, the best thing in my mind that you can do for your kids and for yourself is just consistently seek perspective. Cause that's what she was doing for us. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned a prior conversation about your, your father yeah. where well, you're growing up and, and if you share that a little bit, because I had, a, I got to imagine that had a huge impact in your childhood yeah. And maybe, you know, made, help you or whatever, make some decisions as you were getting older. Can you share that a little bit and, and the impact that had on you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I, you know, I, the way I typically talk about this, Brian, is like three things that happened to me when I was 12 years old that really shifted the narrative arc for my life and gave me a lot of the, you know, sort of the, the, the adaptability and the ability to, to constantly challenge my perspective and, and see and seek a different perspective, right? Um, you know, three things that happened to me when I was 12. First thing, my, my, uh, my dad went away to jail for 20 years, you know, for, for drugs and other stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, I had to testify in that trial as a 12-year-old. Um, and it was, it was awful. Uh, he went away for 20 years. He did 12 with 20, um, you know, devastating. He wasn't a big factor in my life before that, you know, because he was in the streets. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, not knowing that, you know, this other presence that was a part of your life is no longer there you know, can just destroy your confidence as a young man, especially when you're growing up in an environment where you're just around tigers and lions all day long and everybody's, tr- you know, just hustling and, and, and trying their best to get what you have or get what someone else has. Right. Um, and so, and so that was tough, you know, really, ch- I didn't see my path, right. I saw myself as different from everybody around me, but I didn't see my path, like how I was going to actually be successful in life. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But my mom took us on this tiny Cessna plane. And, you know, I I mentioned that earlier and that gave me perspective, but it still didn't teach me how to connect the dots. I didn't, I didn't understand. I like, okay, this is massive, expansive world out there that I can connect to. And that like, you know, and then also like the project development that I grew up in, I can see it from the, from the sky, from the sky on the ground. And it's this little tiny thing. Like it doesn't, it's nothing. Right. So it, it helped in terms of, you know, overcoming confidence and things like that, or giving me a little boost of confidence, but there was no real connection to like how I actually take those, the, the, that experience and do something practical with it. So the last thing that happened to me when I was 12, that brought it all together for me was I was fortunate to get in this program called NIFTY, National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I built these, they, they help you build companies and, and tear them down and all this stuff. They teach you about STEM and, and but your, your primary role is to build a company or build a business, right? You might not go anywhere with it, but they teach you entrepreneurialism or entrepreneurship. And so I built these solar powered microwaves uh, they, um, they, they could cook a host of things that required <laughs> heat. Uh, you know, it would take a long time, but it worked and I would, you know, I, I would make things in them. So I, I brought it to school, you know, and the school allowed me to sell, uh, hot dogs. And so I made money selling hot dogs in the, in the, um, in these, uh, solar powered microwaves. Um, and then I, I submitted it for the business plan competition, the science competition, and I won them both. I won a little bit of money. And I was making money on the, on the sales of the hot dogs and stuff like that. And so like immediately my mind exploded. It said to me, big perspective, constantly challenging that perspective, seeing the world opportunity out there, you know, using your own mind, your hands, your heart to build products, connecting those two worlds. You can do anything, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so it gave me freedom and also like healthy self-esteem you know, right at, right at the outset, you know, at, at a time that it was critical for me. So those are the, the, so when I talk about like my dad and the, you know, the impact that that's had on me, it's really part of this larger story of the, you know, of, of this, of this, you know, narrative that, you know, these experiences that I had as a 12 year old and, um, and they, they entirely made me like who I am. You know what I'm curious about, um, and based on what you just mentioned there, and, and obviously going into starting, you know, companies and stuff like that, do you think part of, you know, cause, cause obviously being an attorney or that, that's a great profession. There's a lot of people, I have a lot of friends that are, that are lawyers, attorneys, but do you think at some point based on your upbringing, because you mentioned in the project, maybe, maybe you saw a lot of people struggling. Yeah. Did you go down that path? Because it was, you think at that time was like, that was a safety net of like, Hey, this is a good path. Like I know I can grow. I wonder if you, if you thought about that at all. No, I, no. I mean, how, how could I come to that conclusion when I, I know nothing as a, as a kid growing up in the ghetto, like you don't have exposure to anything. Like you, you yeah. see lawyers, but like lawyers are really a conduit to like keeping you out of jail. Right. Yeah, like, true. like, you know, you don't know corporate lawyers. You don't know M and a lawyers. Like I didn't know yeah. any of that stuff. And so like a path, you know, surrounding business, you know, where I, I conceivably would start a technology company that would be one of the fastest growing technology companies and acquired for lots of money like that, that nowhere near my purview, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just don't have the, the fundamental chips necessary to think that way. Yeah. And so, and so I think the other part of it, like you're, and you're correctly picking up on it, Brian is like courage. <laughs> like you, you gotta have some courage. I think, I think my courage, some of it came from like, when you, when you start from such a deficit, like what more can happen to me? <laughs> like right. like nothing True. more or worse i had been shot at four times at that point mm-hmm. as a 12 year old you know i'd stolen cars I, i'd done stuff like that would have 
you know, really put me in jail and worse situations. Like all my, my cousins, uncles were either dead in jail. So, you know, I have complete devastation around me. Like what, what, what am I losing by not taking a chance? Right. Like that was one of my, my, certainly one of my, my perspectives, but the other perspective was like, you know, just go for it. Right. Like use some courage, find it deep down inside. Everybody has it in them somewhere, right. Based on some experience that you've had that you've overcome use some portion of that to, to push you forward. And, you know, that was the only way I was going to, I was going to, I was going to push propel forward. I had a lot of great people around me too that helped, but you know, that, you know, the courage I think is critical. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about courage a little more then. So you, <laughs> you obviously your, your attorney, I think was your last rule from a, an attorney standpoint in-house counsel at state farm. Let's, okay. Yeah, so you role. at some point decided, okay, I'm going to change this and I'm going to do something. How did you, the, how did you get involved from an entrepreneur <laughs> standpoint with getting outside of the in-house counsel from the state or how did that transition happen? Yeah, man, it was, it was clumsy. It was clumsy. <laughs> I, I, you know, everyone wants to tell you a story about how to do it, even though they never did it. Right. And, and they, they tell you all these like smooth steps that lead to the outcome that you want. But the reality is like, you know, you just got to start. <laughs> yeah. the name of your podcast yeah. you just gotta take a step and for me that step was okay i got to maryland and you know my eyes were just open right because i'm from the new york area and in in, in, the, in the new york area you know as far as bought up you know you can go all the way through connecticut to you know to boston like everything's expensive <laughs> you know like home ownership is expensive and so when i got here i saw how cheap things were like i could own whole slats of real estate for not much money Right. So what I was doing as a lawyer, young lawyer, I was taking all the money I had. I didn't have any kids. I, I was young. I was 25, 26, somewhere in there, taking all that money, 170,000 a year or whatever I was making. I was just dumping in a real estate. I was making real estate investments. I was making investments and I owned a business that, uh, that, um, that did, um, office cleaning. And so the guy just struggled. He only had like four or five vacuum cleaners in one account or three accounts, whatever he had. And I was like, okay, I can give you like five grand, you know, to get the new vacuum cleaners. I can, I can go to any building and, and sell the building on these new services, get you new work, get you more work. And I have like 25% of the business. Great. That was a great deal. Right. And it, it allowed me to keep lawyering and funneling that money from law into other right. things. Right. So that was one of the things I did. Another idea, another business I had was uh, um, these, um, these little coffee machines. Right, like you either they you put them in like car washes and places like that where people are waiting and they pay fifty cents for a coffee, and like I I sold must have sold like thirty of those, and I had you know just you know, some some additional revenue coming from there or income coming from that passive income from that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I was just getting like associated with all the businesses I was in, while I was at State Farm I was getting tons of faxes <laughs> and emails about the various business opportunities I was engaged in. And so the writing was on the wall that I was going to leave there at some point, you know, and after I got to a certain place where I could, I knew I could replace like my existing salary with these side hustles or, and I didn't even do that at that point. I had not even replaced my salary, but I knew I could if I worked really hard in this way. Mm-hmm. And so like that gave me more confidence. It said to me, well, I don't need to be handcuffed to State Farm. Like if I left State Farm, it's not fatal. Right. And I think in our mind, we've got to put that that little you know checkpoint in there to help us constantly ask that question and realize that no matter where you are, if you leave or you do something, that, it's not fatal. You'll figure it out. Some other opportunity will fill the place of the one that, you know, you walk away from. 
Yeah, that's the whole point is you can, you're not really starting over because you have all this experience. You're just moving the path in a little different direction. You can always not revert back because you can never go back to the spot you're at. There's always going to be changes, but at least you have those new experiences that maybe help you again. So you're never, it's almost like there's no bad you know, decision. Um, as long as you're putting yourself forward, you're trying, you're, again, you're tasting, you're testing and, and you're trying to do the best you can, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So you mentioned about with some of these businesses, what was that you meant before we get into the fix and how you started that, you said there was a business that failed before that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I had lots of failures. Uh, I invested in a lotto technology business. Um, and I, I thought like with a lot of mentorship and a lot of guidance and support and some cash, I could really, you know, coach this team up and we can get there. And it was a complete failure. And I, I think I just learned, you know, you got to bet on, you know, uh, like really strong, teams right and like i didn't have that in that situation but like my my biggest failure was a, a company that was a, a frozen foods manufacturer in, in in boston that i acquired and we had operations between boston and dc these were um they, they created uh, frozen food uh, ice cream and um and uh they had a retail presence of about a hundred or so locations mm-hmm. right um when i acquired it out of bankruptcy it had probably 30 that were operational Right. A lot of messed up leases and everything else. But, you know, here I am, um, you know, all these side hustles. I had sold a technology company previous to that that was very successful. And so I had a little bit of cash and I'm, I'm like this 29, 30 year old. And I'm, I'm going to go buy this, you know, 20 million, 20 million dollar a year business that is like, you know, has a big name. It's been around for 100 years, all this stuff. All right. So I was always like playing way above my, my batting average. Right. And, um, and, but I got, I thought I could do it. So I, I, I went and lobbed an offer. Um, I found the deal, lobbed an offer and basically got what I wanted. I sold off all the manufacturing assets as part of the transaction, which financed the entire deal. It was a brilliant deal. I made like a million bucks on the transaction. The problem was, you know, yet you have, you know, a sort of a post 2008 world where you can't, you know, you can't raise debt. And like a big part of my thesis was like, Oh, I'm going to go just fix these leases and, fix the company with some, some short-term, long-term cheap debt. And like all that stuff was just locked up. And so I just fought for like a year and a half trying to survive, maintain, you know, hiring people, 250 plus employees. And ultimately I just couldn't save the company and I put it back in bankruptcy. And so I, I think the lesson though is, is like, there's lots of lessons that came out of that. Right. But one of the key lessons is like, don't hang your head when you fail, like you deserve to, you know, pick your head up and try again. You deserve to take another chance, take another swing, right? You're, you, this, this, this journey is not just about, you know, collecting wins, right? You, the losses are what teach you about the wins and make the wins so much more sweeter, right? And so when I look at that, I don't feel like, you know, I, I regret it or I wish, you know, I didn't, hadn't had that experience. I think I'm only standing, I'm standing where I am only because I had that, that previous failure. Yeah. How have you handled, because with that, I'm assuming there was a lot of stress, anxiety of, of a, a business. You didn't know what you were getting into. How did you handle that? Or maybe how do you handle it now? What did you learn from that experience um, that could maybe help others? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, I tell you, Brian, it's, it's one thing I'm, I'm, I'm consistently trying to answer that question, right? And figure that a, a right response to that. I think at the time I didn't handle it well, right? I, I, I gained a bun- bunch of weight. I was probably 30 pounds heavier than I am today, which is unbelievable thinking about my frame. Um, but I, I was bigger. I, I just, I, I ate, I stressed, I didn't sleep. 
Um, you know, I worked out, but it was really like the whole time I'm working out, I'm thinking about like the next 10 challenges that I have within the business. And so it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't really uh, a time where I had any peace. And I, I think those times, they, they're always there. You know, when I started Fixed, you know, a month of starting the company, my daughter, our daughter, she was, she was four then, was struck with stage four cancer, right? And so like these experiences were just teaching me how to deal with like monumental stress whenever it arises in whatever scenario you're, you find yourself. And, you know, I dealt with that situation better, right? I, I, you know, we had support around us and, you know, she went through a year of chemotherapy, radiation, lost a kidney, but hundred percent cancer-free, you know, normal 11 year old now doing very well. But I think the way I, I, all of those experiences have, you know, sort of evolved me to the place I am now is like work-life balance is there's no such thing as that, right? Like you got to go hard at everything. And that means that if you got an idea, yeah, stay up thinking about the idea, testing it, validating your markets, doing customer discovery, all that stuff. That is absolutely important. And you've got to do all of it with 100% effort, right? But find ways to build in. Like not, I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm going to, at the end of my day at five o'clock, I'm going to go to the gym. Like that's not going to work. When you're, when you're trying to boil the ocean, you can't like, you know, defer the gym to five o'clock. You've got to find a way, oh, I've got uh, 30 minutes between this call I'm going to grab a quick protein shake. Then I'm going to go, you know, run around the block real quick or do some exercise or something like that to keep myself in shape, happy, happy, healthy, right? All those things are like fundamental to good, you know, brain function and like our moods and everything else. And so like I've basically redesigned my entire schedule now where I bake in like kid stuff and I have two kids and like all their stuff is super important. Why should that wait to the weekends? Why should that wait till six o'clock, right? And so like we're, I'm baking in all those things throughout the day to make sure that I've got proper balance and like this is always in a, in a good place. My, my mindset and how I'm thinking about the businesses that I'm in are in a good place. Well, so let's talk a little about the business you just uh, got, that just got acquired. You hit a home run with this one with Fixed, right? Um, this was, this is the yeah. big one. So far, now there may be a bigger one. Coming. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think there right? will be bigger ones. There we sure. go. There we go. Um, but I'm actually, so I want to start with this question. I haven't asked this too much, I don't think, but I actually, I'm curious of you. Can you share the ideation phase for, for fix? One, maybe share with everyone what that, what that idea is and, and what the business is. But I'm almost curious of how many times it didn't happen. Like, did you balk on even starting it at all? Like, share a little about that very early ideation stage and, and what you went through to actually get it started. Yeah, no, it's a, <laughs> that's a great question, man. Lots of fits and starts and false starts, et cetera. And I think that's just all part of like the startup journey. And like, you just, if you are a founder, you want to be a founder, you've just got to get comfortable with that. Like I talk to founders all the time. I coach them. I'm an advisor, a bunch of, the startups and everybody starts with the same mentality. I know this is going to work. I know the direction I'm going. I'm confident in it. You can't tell me anything. Um, and, and then I talk to them a year later or six months later. And it's like, you went through four pivots, right? Cause the reality is like nothing starts the way that we see it. Right. We all, we see Twitter and we think about Twitter as, 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 as it was, you know, 10 years ago when, when Bizstone and Evan and all those guys found it. Right. But the reality is like when it started, it was a to totally different company. It was, it was Odeo, right? And then, then it became Twitter when they failed. And so much like them, our story was similar. It was just me, right? And so I'm trying to find co-founders, trying to find 
the path forward because I knew I, I came out of the insurance industry. I was a lawyer and I, I knew that there are a lot of those like legal processes and claims processes behind the veil were all broken. Right. And I was like, I'm going to fix all that and I'm going to boil the ocean. <laughs> and so the first year I spent building claims software that did better administration, but like no real client, no real customer, no real market in mind or specific market in mind. And so that first year was a wash. I mean, we didn't do anything. We didn't, we built the product, but it was the wrong product, wrong market, wrong everything. Mm. Um, right around the time that Olivia got sick, I was fortunate to get into a program called Techstars. It's an acceler business accelerator, right? And, but, and, I, and your users don't all have to go apply to Techstars. I think you can get the same sort of feedback and advisory, just talking to other entrepreneurs, talking to other founders, talking to VCs and other people who are in your, in your um, ecosystem. But for me, it was helpful because it was the first time I was like really, really deeply challenged, right? Like business school is great, but business school folks are not going to challenge you in the same way that, you know, an entrepreneur who just went through it is going to challenge you. He's just seen it. She's just seen it, right? So it's a different perspective. And I was getting that. And, you know, it just, it collapsed me. <laughs> it collapsed me, Brian. So I, I, the first thing I said was like, man, I don't have a real business. I don't know what I'm doing. I'd already raised like a hundred thousand dollars you know, 25,000 of that was mine. 75,000 was from investors. I'm going to lose that 25,000. I knew that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, I'm in this program. I've got, you know, three or four weeks to demo day. Like what should, what am I going to do? I can't present the old idea. It's not going to work. And I'm on a bus having these ponderings. Right. And, um, I noticed uh, around me, I dropped my phone by accident at a, I forget what kind of iPhone I had, but I, I dropped it by accident. And I noticed around me, everyone had the same exact reaction. Right. Again, this comes from perspective. Perspective means that you're always paying attention, right? Like you're, you're, you're mindful, right? Like mindfulness is not about just being in good yoga shape. It's about being able to see the world, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then connect dots when you need to, to make impact. And like the, the dots that came together for me in that moment were, huh, single event, phone, black dude in Boulder, only black dude in Boulder, right? Like why do all these people care about what just happened to my phone? Right. When I walk down the street in Boulder as a black man, no one even pays attention to me. They don't even see me. Like, but in this moment, everybody sees me. Why? They can all relate to that pain. When I started and I walked around the bus, I just started asking questions because I didn't want to lose that moment. And I said, well, why? Why do you guys, you know, why did you have that reaction? And it was all these stories about the Apple store and the, and the limitations, et cetera. And I said to myself, well, what if I could just give you a phone when I got off the bus? Or someone can give me a phone when I got off the bus. Because we knew that that broke. And they're like, oh, that would be mind-blowing. That would be amazing. I, okay, I know the thing I got to go work on. I know, and then I started to do my research. And I researched that, you know, iPhone prices were going through the roof. Not, you know, contrary to popular demand or popular belief that they were going to get cheaper. No, mm -hmm. phones were getting more expensive. Uh, subsidies were going away. So the carriers were like, oh, we're not going to give you like a free upgrade, right. you know, or $99 upgrade. You're going to pay for it, Right. So that spoke to repair. Only there are 50,000 daily Genius Bar appointments, but only 300 around the world. At the time, it was 175. <laughs> like you got capacity issues right there, right? And, and then like within the enterprise, there was nothing. Like there was a 12 and a half billion dollar market where they're, they're being serviced with like, oh, drop it in a box and ship it off somewhere. It's like, wow. And so, you know, paying attention to all those signals, it really focused us and told me what to build. And when I could tell that story to investors, it didn't matter what, what, what the product looked like even at that moment, right? Mm -hmm. and, and like by the time I told that story to investors, 
right? And I had a little bit of traction headed in that direction, not much. I mean, maybe a website that didn't do many things, right? And maybe one integration. Uh, we raised, I don't know, maybe a million dollars on the back of a napkin. Like it, it wasn't even a real, it was just an idea at that point, right? I didn't have a real product. But that's the power of like paying attention to what's happening on uh, it, to you, doing the research, you know, connecting the dots, and then being able to sort of, you know, build a product around that or, or talk to, about a product that potentially could go there to fulfill that need, right? And so we got there, you know, probably close to 2016, 17 is when we figured out the market that we're going to be in. And from that point, we were acquiring enterprise customers left and right. We grew from, you know, basically a couple, you know, people at that point to 25 employees. We grew revenue um, 400% year over year, um, acquiring customers like Home Depot, NYPD, Stanford University, T. Rowe Price, you know, Carlisle Group, on and on and on. Um, and the only way we got there was by paying attention to the strong signals around us. Yeah. Well, and it's like serendipity, right? It's just kind of, you know, if you're not on that bus that day, it does the idea generate and it just you yeah. happen to be aware. Yeah. And as you said, mindful, I like the, I like the, the description kind of of mindfulness that you, that you see it. Cause I think that's, that's an accurate portrayal. Um, and then you actually had to do something about it. You, you had the idea, but I, you, I, the, the cool thing is how many people would actually go around the bus and ask questions to those, those people on the bus? No one. Yeah. No. So, but that, but that is entrepreneurship right there. I think people right. mistake entrepreneurship for like, you know, they think Mike, Mark, you know, Mike, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, like you're, you, you invent something in your dorm room and then you release it and then just, it just promulgates from there. Not true. Like for that, those growth motions to get set into place, mm -hmm. you've got to be talking, like talk to customers more, the, 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 the less, you know, engagement you have with customers, I think less growth that you can access. Yeah. So how, uh, when, so you got acquired recently, we did. Anything to share on that process, the, the good, the bad, anything on that, you know, how you went through it, um, how you got approached by it. I don't know, whatever you want to share. Um, Cause that's kind of cool to, to well, congrats on that, by the way. Um, and that's, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, you know, it, it is uh, indeed uh, the orchestration of immense proportion, right? Uh, you know, I'm the first African-American you know, in 23, 24 years to, to exit, to get a tech exit in Baltimore, like in a town that's 70% black, like it's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm one of the few tech exits by a black entrepreneur in the country in a COVID year, right? Like that's, that's absurd. We're going to fix that, right? But um, it is a, an incredible process to go through. It is like you learn a ton about yourself and about the company and the people around you. Um, you know, it really started for us with a story, right? I, you know, we were running out of money in like January of, of 2020. We were running out of money. It's not uncommon. I mean, at various intervals in the development of this company, we were running out of money. We never missed a single payroll ever, but we were always running out of money. I was always raising. I mean, I think the closest I came was like five or six days from not hitting payroll. And at that, at that point, I think I was like two weeks away from not hitting payroll. But CES was coming up, the Consumer Electronics Showcase. And so I, I knew it was important for me to be there because all of our vendors and partners, et cetera, are going to be there. And I needed to make something happen. I needed to make, you know, make more magic happen faster. Hmm. And so I went, not really a real strong plan, just some a series of meetings with partners and customers that I was going to do. And I, I wiggled my way into the Assurant VIP reception. 
Um, someone I knew just gave me an extra ticket. And so then I, I knew what the CEO looked like. I knew a bunch of people there because mm-hmm. all along the way, I've been doing research on who's going to potentially buy us, partner with us, et cetera. Um, so I found my way over to the CEO. I don't drink, all right, but I, I got him a drink and we sat there at the bar, uh, me, him, and another entrepreneur actually uh, that uh, ran, a com- ran a company called Hyla that was also required recently. They got acquired for $325 million. Um, just last last week, we announced that deal at Assurance. Mm-hmm. And so us three are sitting there. We're just talking about culture. We're talking about product market fit. We're talking about market opportunities that exist, ones that are orthogonal to him. And I'm just illuminating him on my brain, on all the things that I see, opportunities, and like things that we're doing today that are driving some of our growth. It got him really excited. You know, He put us in touch with the right people. Some of the folks that we had already had conversation with before. And from that moment, you know, uh, I, w- I want to say we were under... Uh, LOI within like 30 or 45 days, um, you know, from that, from meeting the CEO and CES. What, what he didn't know, what no one else knew was like, we didn't have any money. Like I was staying in the Strata Hotel <laughs> during CES. Strata is like off the, off, way off the, off the beaten path, uh, off the strip. It's, it was like $59 a night <laughs> to stay there. I had no money. I didn't even buy my return uh, trip back. I, I couldn't even afford that yet because I was waiting on something to happen. And so I was lucky. I got, I was sitting in the VIP reception and one of our partners was there, a CEO of another company. And he's like, well, Luke, you know, what are you doing? When are you leaving? I'm like, I don't know. I'm figuring it out. And he's like, well, I, I you know, I can give you a ride back if you want. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about a ride back? You know, this is like one of those weird, you know, uh, Vegas things that people say, like, what is, what's going on here? And like, he's like, no, I, you know, I, you know, he's done very well in his company and he has a private jet. And he flies it himself. I'm like, this is unreal. This can't be true. So he takes me, he says, oh, give me a ride, no problem. And I get to this like $9 million private jet on the runway uh, in Vegas. And you know, he's going to fly me back to Baltimore. Un- unbelievable. It's like three or four people on the plane, you know, very small group. Um, I get to sit birds the, the, in, the, in the co-pilot seat with him, make calls to central command throughout the flight and everything mm-hmm. else. It was just an unbelievable experience. It's like flying, you know, that close to the pilot. We stopped in Tennessee for like impossible burgers and then like kept going. To, it was just an unbelievable event and then it made the acquisition that much sweeter. But like the best part of all of that was that when I got to the airport where he picked me up right in the, there's like a little shitty kitchen where they sell coffee and egg sandwiches. It's, it's awful. It's right in Vegas. There's a sign. I took a picture of it that says, um, uh, um, $99 or $39, um, airfield, uh, 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 tours where they would fly you up on a plane, Stratford, Connecticut, right? S- uh, Sikorsky airport, or it was a, it was a, a billboard for Sikorsky airport, mm-hmm. right? Which is the airport that my mom took us up when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't make this up. And maybe some people will call that luck, but like I, and maybe it is, but I think it's also the, the, the victor's, and the wins goes to the, the folks that are paying attention to the battle being fought, right? And to all of the things around you. And I, I was just paying attention. I just saw the stuff on the wall hanging there. And I was like, this is amazing. I could have missed that. I could have completely missed that. But by me seeing that and enhance the, the, the value of that trip, you know, the, the, the speed by which I got back to Baltimore. And eventually, you know, we were under LOI, you know, within 45 days of that. It was just an incredible experience and journey you know, yeah. um, from the moment of meeting the CEO to, to selling the company. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, I mean, kind of the, the theme of the 
the episode today is perspective, right? I mean, it's just being aware, being able to see outside of your peripheral, maybe as best as possible. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you had to take, I mean, it looks like obviously if you went up to the CEO, like you're taking chances, that courage you're talking about, you know, it all kind of comes together, obviously, to, to be able to make some of this stuff happen. And one of the things that's cool, uh, and maybe if you can share a little bit about before we end, you know, some of the stuff that I looked up that you're doing, um, kind of giving back a lot, which is awesome that you're trying to help these folks. I was seeing this one thing around, can you share a little more with the, the Lewis Latimer Society and some of the stuff you're doing with, with folks? That, that, that seems pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Lewis Latimer is, uh, was, um, um, one of the f- first black inventors in this country. Um, he actually invented the light bulb. Most people don't know this. But I, did not, I did not know that, by the way. Yeah, Edison is a genius. Edison was all, I mean, it doesn't take away from Edison's genius at all. Actually, in my mind, because I'm a huge Edison fan, it actually um, uh, um, enhances the kind of genius that he was, right? Mm-hmm. It illuminates the kind of genius that he was. Specifically, you know, what he did was he was great at finding like incredible talent, bringing them onto the team, you know, letting them work on their ideas with autonomy sometimes, right? And then like finding ways to turn those things into like practical applications that we would use, right? And making a business around it that would work. Mm-hmm. Like he failed in some regards with respect to, uh, you know, with respect to um, uh, power and energy, uh, electricity, obviously Tesla won that battle. But um, where he was really successful was like folks like Louis Latimer. Louis Latimer was a son of a slave born in Boston, Connecticut, he lived for a long time in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where I'm from, mm-hmm. and um, you know, on, on Whiting Street. And so I grew up knowing these stories. I grew up hearing them, hearing about who he was, et cetera, in my town. And I always knew who he was. I always had an affinity for, for that style of, of tinkering and Edison style of leadership, right? And, um, and so they, they, his house, where he ultimately you know, uh, retired, was in Queens, New York, and they created out of the house a museum uh, the, his grandson is, is still around and, you know, admires the kind of entrepreneur I am. And we've had lots of conversation about basically taking the brand and expanding it to apply to lots of new things, right? In the same ways that, you know, quite frankly, um, Elon Musk has done with Tesla, right? Mm-hmm. Louis Latimer deserves this level of, of, of notoriety, right? For the, 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 the contributions he's made to American life, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, w- I want to illuminate more of that and, and so I'm encouraging people to, to you know, f- find out more about Lewis Latimer by visiting the Lewis Latimer Museum in Queens, find out more by going to the website and contributing to some of the programs that, were, I mean, $50 would make a massive impact on, you know, the, the young kids that we try to affect with STEM, our STEM programs, et cetera, yeah. um, within the Lewis Latimer house. Um, just however you can help. If you're curious, you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. You know, I'd, I'd love to entertain those questions and get more help on, on that front as well. So um, that's, that's Lewis Latimer and what, you know, what I'm doing there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's uh, again, it's just a, one of those things is if we can inspire, especially folks that to get out there and tinker and innovate and whatever, it only makes the world better, you know? So yeah. that's pretty yeah, cool absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Let, let's end on this uh, and I'll let you go here. I always like to end on, you know, we've talked about a lot of different stuff, perspective and adaptability, all these different things, but I want you to go back to that 12 year old yep. and you can give him one piece of advice that you think will be the most impactful for his life, knowing what you knew now. The, the fun part is you only have a post-it note, you know, he can stick on his computer uh, to look at as he's doing work each day. What, what would you give as the most impactful piece of advice uh, for that 12 year old? 
um, invest in a kale farm. I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I think the, I think what I would tell that, that kid is like, just, just don't believe, don't believe anything anybody tells you. Right. Cause like, I, I think the, the kind of kid that I was and the kind of kids that I think I'm, I'm trying to encourage and motivate and, and demonstrate like how much more they can have. Right. They, they believe certain things about themselves as a result of the, the kind of country that this is and, and some of our history, right? our complex history, right? And so, uh, you know, those kids believe that they're not capable. Those kids believe that they're not smart enough and that Harvard and Princeton and those kinds of places are not for them, right? They believe that tech entrepreneurship is unachievable. They don't believe that they should go to schools like Gilman and, you know, and uh, Northfield, Mount Hermon, Deerfield. They don't believe that, right? Because no one has told them that. And people tell them the exact opposite quite more, more frequently than anything positive, right? So I would encourage them, if I could write it on a sticky note, like whatever someone says, just challenge it. Whatever they say, just challenge it. Good and bad, right? Because even if you challenge, hey, Luke, you're a great entrepreneur. Well, why do you think that? Like that's a, you know, asking questions is a form of challenging. And if I ask that, you know, I can, I can understand like why the person thinks that and help, you know, uh, yeah, help me like identify like ways that I can be a stronger entrepreneur, maybe even right. And so, like, I, that's the biggest like advice that I would give them. Like, just don't believe what, what people are telling you. Like, just challenge it and try to find and define it for yourself. But I, I bet we can go three or four more hours. And I'm going to get you out though. I'll I know do that to you, man. You I'll do that stuff. To, yeah, I mean, this, this is fun. Maybe we'll do a part two down the road. Is, <laughs> I, I know you got about 50 other stories in there that you know, are itching to come out. I wish uh, I wish we had the time, but um, yeah, this was time. a lot of fun, dude. I, I'm I'm so Thank glad you. that uh, Brian Wish got us in touch and and we're able to connect. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview, and thanks again for stopping by. Um, If you wanted to connect further, please head over to my website, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, at brianondraco, or search me on LinkedIn, just brianondraco. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.